welcome again to another Halo Life podcast. I'm your host, BJ Martin from Halo Life, and I'm joined once again by AngelsNation.com, Stu Matthews. Thanks for joining us, Stu. Thanks a lot, BJ. Really happy to be here again. Well, I'm excited to go through the next five members of the 60 on 60 Angels all-time 60th anniversary team. We've This is the second part of the list. We're going to go through uh, n- number 51 through 55. You can listen to the other podcast, which we went over the first five members, or 60 through 56. Those members were Don Ossie at 60, Bartolo Colon at 59, Gary Garrett Anderson Richards at 58, 58. Kendrys Morales at 57, and Benji Molina at 56. And now we're excited to go into the next list. Before we get into that, I just wanted to remind everybody that the formula that we used for this was a, was a non-bias or unbiased, however the proper way to say that, formula in which we looked at fan graphs, baseball reference, war stat, along with awards voting, all-star voting, postseason appearances, um, and other factors. So come up with a formula, come up with a, a, a rating total, and then we took the top 60, and that's how we're getting this list. So we're not taking in Stu or my own personal favorites, the guys that we like the most necessarily. This is just coming out. This is what the, the formula is spitting at us, right, Stu? I don't even know who's, who's coming up in the list. Um, I think I have an idea of some guys who are going to be in the top 10. But honestly, uh, BJ, I got to tell you, I got no idea how your formula works. I failed math like four times in at Cal State Fullerton, <laughs> where I had to go to uh, uh, JC at, at, at Fullerton College and take mathematics for liberal arts students. So that's your field, bro. And I'm going to trust you that your formula works. But I know this, you know, this, this 60 for 60 might throw some curveballs at, at the fans and, and me and they probably threw curveballs at you, didn't it? The way it kind of they did, and 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 we'll we'll start right there at 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 number fifty five. Uh, we've been fans. I mean, I've been a fan since the late seventies. You're you're a bit a little a few years older than me. You're probably mid to early seventies when you first started recalling the uh, Angels players that time. This first guy at number fifty five that we're going to talk about today, kind of like came and and went before I think our fan day. So we really required a lot of research on, on my part. And I don't know, I can't speak for you to like kind of dig deep into the legacy of Rick Reichert, who's our number 55 player. What, what, what did you learn about Rick Reichert that you can, that you can share with us, uh, Stu? I, I may be giving away a little bit more about myself than I want to BJ, but I was there and saw him play at the Big A, and he was a big deal. And uh, in fact, it's interesting we're talking about him because today is a football day, right? You know, everybody eats a bunch of junk food and watches the Super Bowl. Well, Jim Fergosi, it was late 60s. I can't remember what year he actually came onto the Angels. You might have that handy. I don't. Yeah, he was but signed. In, he was he was signed in '64, and he he uh, I think he was up the next year. He made his debut briefly in '65. That's right. So so he was teammates with Bobby Knopp and Jim Fergosi and that lot. 
And so I was starting to go to the games when, you know, towards the, the in, latter end of his latter end of his Angels tenure there, where um, he was still considered a star on that team, you know, and you had Fergusi and you had other players like that. And those teams weren't great, let's face it. But, you know, bless his heart, you know, he, um, he played in the Rose Bowl, okay? Rick Reichert was an athlete. He played for... I think huh? he played two, did he? he I think he might have played Bowl? two Rose Bowls. Well, um, did, I don't know. Did he win? <laughs> I don't know. But that was the old that was the old days, but it was always the Big Ten versus the, uh, the Pac-10 in those days. So Wisconsin was a powerhouse, and yeah. he was a fullback, right? Yeah, he, you know, if you hand the ball to him, he's a big dude. He was like 6'3", and he was an imposing figure. And he, I would, you know, Jim Fergosi was my hero at that time. And Rick Reichert just like stood another six inches taller. He seemed like in terms of stature, just the build. Jim Fergosi was a big man. But he was not small by any measure, but Rick Reichert could run through people. So, yeah, I mean, he got drafted in the NFL. So, um, he got drafted by the Colts. So, yeah, he had, okay, he, he may have played in two bowl games. He hasn't played in as many bowl games as Tom Brady, who has. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rick Reichert as well was, when he signed, I mean, think about the amount of money that the Angels paid Shohei Otani when they kind of got him out of the international market and it was almost like a free-for-all it was a free-for-all everybody trying to sign our blessed Shohei Otani everybody wanted him yep. well in those days Rick Record there wasn't the draft there was not a major league draft so you know it was basically whoever was going to offer him the most money you want to go play professional football with the Colts, or you want to go play baseball with the Angels? And so he got like a you know a million and a half um, in today's dollars back then, which would have been I don't know what it was. It was, it was actually two hundred and five thousand dollars, and that was far right. more than the most major league active major league rostered veterans. The top players of the game weren't even making that much in nineteen sixty four. So he was the he was the last straw. He was a straw that broke the camel's back on that, on the, the, uh, what do you, what, what do they call them? The, uh, the bonus babies. They needed to have the draft yeah. after that. Yeah. I mean, uh, before that it was all bonus babies and you're even going back to look at 1947, 1948, Jackie Robinson, because of the color line, you want to talk about a bonus baby but they were never going to pay him any of that kind of money in 1948. It was a similar thing. Every year, the best talent was subject to a bidding war like we had with Shohei Otani. And Billy Epler just plucked him and plucked Shohei Otani, and it was a bidding war, wasn't it? Every team came and gave presentations. So, yeah, we've got the draft now, and we love our draft choices and you know the prospects and et cetera getting into the farm, but it was a diff, whole different ballgame the way guys came up from the minors or came up from you know college stardom into the major leagues back then. 
it was a lot different. But I do remember Rick Reichert being a big, big dude. Okay, I mean, I was a little kid too, but <laughs> he was a big, big guy. You have to think like this is before. I mean, this was before Baseball America. This was before the MLB pipeline. This was before MLB Network and and Sirius ML, uh, XM's MLB Radio. This is before any of that. I mean, you basically had the sporting news, and maybe Baseball Digest was on the scene that was covering the sport. But I mean, really, Reichert was like he would have been the equivalent of like Bryce Harper or Mike Trout at the time when 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 the Angels got him, and. You talk about a big dude, like you said. I keep thinking Mike Trout as you're talking because he was just this. He was a guy. Everyone's how many times you heard the comparison to Trout could be a linebacker in football or you know a fullback, and and that's who Reichart was. And it, you know he came on the scene as a rookie, hit two two eighty eight, sixteen home runs, he had eight stolen bases, and then he had a kidney ailment, and uh, his season had he had a had that a surgery and had that extracted, and then and then and then the season ended prematurely. And it just seemed like it was kind of one thing after another with injuries that nagged him and things like that, that just kind of, I think to some degree, you know, hindered his progress into really becoming the superstar that I think everybody thought he'd be. Yeah. And also I think like a guy like uh, Reichert in those years, pitching was dominant. Look, I mean, Bob Gibson in 1968, who could hit him? Nobody could hit him. So pitching was dominant. So if you if you if you just kind of project his numbers into today's game, Rick Record probably could hit 45 bombs. He was built like that. And he's still alive, God bless him. And uh, he's a guy. And here's another little tidbit I remember about Rick Record. It was back in the days when I used to go to games. I can't remember what year it was when batting helmets came in. But I was a little kid, and I was like, hey, look at the guy with the shiny helmet. And it was Rick Riker. Because <laughs> honestly, you see guys go up into the on-deck circle and take their hacks, and they're on, you know, and they just had their baseball cap on. Because that's, you know, just their hat. Because that's the way guys like Fugosi and Kanak came up playing, and they didn't wear a batting helmet, you know. And in the late 60s, batting helmets flew. He came 667, maybe? I'm not sure. We got to look that up, buddy. I want to know the answer to that. But I do have a, a good Angels trivia tidbit for you, which I'm sure you're going to get because you're a genius at this stuff. I don't know. Throw it at me. You might stump me. Well, I don't think I'm going to stump you because I think it's pretty obvious. But who hit the first home run in Angel Stadium history? <laughs> well, I did the research on that. And there's this man, Rick Reichart did it. Yeah, he, that, was, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. In 1966, he was the first one to hit a home run out. So, yeah, so Rick had a great career. I think, uh, obviously, it was so highly touted with that big bonus on the front end. Uh, but he still, in 1966, he still uh, received an MVP vote. Um, and you know, when it was all said and done, he was a 261 hitter. He contributed 68 homers and 261 ribeyes for the, uh, the California, then California angels. And, uh, was, you know, kind of their, their rising star at one point, uh, and, uh, kind of bridge that gap between the Los Angeles angels to the California angels. And, 
in getting yeah. baseball in Orange County. So uh, isn't it funny? You got the numbers perfect. The numbers are great. That that sums up his career in numbers perfectly. But you know, when you see a guy like Rick Reichert, when I'm I was four years old or five years old, and my dad's taking me to the game for a dollar, you know, for a ticket, and you know, these guys are like idols to me. Jim Fergosi was, and you see the guys warm up on the and Rick Reichert, for whatever reason, my four year old or five-year-old brain just said the guy with the shiny helmet <laughs> and, you know you might, you might think about because his helmet was always shiny man it was really really polished and uh i don't know what that's worth it's just worth nothing it's just a good memory so so that's where our age comes in i, I think of joe rudy's batting stance you know that and, and like you know that, that that's what kind of sticks in my head or frank tanana's hair you know, uh, that was, that was, you know, those sort of things, you know, kind of, kind of stand out for me. Kid who grew up in Houston and sees Craig Biggio playing. Well, that's the guy with the really dirty helmet. That's right. Well, Vladdy, you know, young Angels fans will remember, younger Angel fans will think of Vlad Guerrero with that, right? So, that, well, I would think so. Thank yeah, you for I that can... assessment. On uh, Yeah, there you go. He's got the angel's hat on in the hall. I'm thank, thankful for that. Thank you, Vladdy. Uh, number 54, a teammate of Rick Reichert. That would be left-handed pitcher George Brunette. He's number, he's number 54 on our list. And Stu, tell me what you got on, on, on the veteran lefty. He was a veteran lefty, and I got to correct you on your pronunciation of his name. Okay. Brent. Martin. His name is George Stewart Brunette. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's what that's what wonderful middle man. That's what Wikipedia tells you. But the thing I never saw him pitch. He was a lefty, a crafty lefty, but he's one of those guys that always fits that formula in baseball. If you're left-handed, and you know how to pitch, you can get paid. And I think that's really what he was. And this is going to put your formula to the test. How did his stats stack up to where he's number 54? Now, sadly, George Stewart Burnett is no longer with us. He died. He was only 56. He died uh, many years ago, 91. But one thing, if he was still alive, I'd like to ask George Burnett would be what an awesome hat collection you have. Because, <laughs> okay, I mean, he's not, who's the guy who's played on the most teams? Was it Octavio Dotel? Dotel, there's Mike Morgan, and uh, more recently, Edwin Jackson. I think so. they're, they're all real, like about 13, 14 teams. So this guy played, not only did he play for the Angels when they were still the California Angels, but imagine if he kept one hat, one game day hat from every team he played on, those things would be epic. Because he came up with the Kansas City A's, the green and gold KC, and then he went to the, he went to the, uh, in the, the 1960s uniforms were great anyhow. You know, that you had the cut-off sleeves and the buttons, and, you know, they were still, you know, the, uh, you know, the classic 
baseball type unis, but the hat design was starting to peak, you know. So then you got then he went to the uh, Milwaukee Braves, who you know that was Hank Aaron's team. They were well known, but nobody really remembers them as the Milwaukee Braves. So, but if you still have a Braves hat that has an M on it, that's pretty cool. So he had that. He had a Kansas City A's. He had a Milwaukee Braves. He had a Houston. Let me start that whole phrase over. Houston Colt 45s, right? That bang, the Colt 45s. So, you know, I'm thinking about the hat. I could not pronounce it. The Houston Colt 45s. Not easy. Um, Then he was an Oriole in the days when they had the, the cool bird before they brought it back as a retro. And then he was with the Angels. Had the, you know, then he was with the Seattle Pilots. Then he was with the Washington Senators, who are still, all these teams are memories, except for the California Angels, really. I mean, what team did he play for other than the Baltimore Orioles? Is still an operating concern. I know that they've changed and rebranded. So, like, the Washington Senators became the Texas Rangers. Right. But this guy played on a lot of teams. <laughs> he, he did. He did. St. Louis Cardinals would be the one I could say that's – that I think was his last team that that, 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 that hasn't probably rebranded as, as like the others. But what an assortment. But, honestly, this list, the 60 on 60, it just takes into account his Angels career. So – and you asked why is he on this list? And I think it's, it's probably those years, 1965 to 68 that he was on the team where he averaged 33 starts per season. And he had every campaign, he had an ERA of 3.31 or less. Uh, he never reached an all-star game net. He, he reached uh, double digits and wins three years. Um, and in 1965, he finished the year with a 3.65 ERA and a 4.1 WAR, which were both fourth among American League pitchers. But I think he's probably helped, like you mentioned earlier, with with Reichert. He was pitching in that pitcher's era, so I think you know, obviously the the mound, the mound was raised, and 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 they had to, they had to lower it and all that. Uh, I think uh, that led that uh, mid 60s after Bob Gibson and Koufax were just lighting everybody up. And then that led, I think, to Yaskrimski's hit, hitting for the uh, triple crown soon after that. So things kind of, he was right in the middle of that. But here's what I found the most astonishing, Stu, about Brunette's career. On a major league level, he finished his career in 1971 with, with St. Louis. But when I didn't realize that I could have seen him is if my dad would have had the wherewithal to take us down south of the border where this man pitched until 1984 in, in Monterey, Mexico. He, so listen to this, this guy's minor league career started in 1953 in, in Shelby, North Carolina and spanned till 1984. That's, that's over 30 years. And uh, I've read, I read doing research on him. He's, he's got the most, if you count, those internet Mexico league, the Mexican league as minor leagues that he has the most minor league career victories. And he's actually a member of the Mexican baseball league hall of fame. Yeah. 
I mean, he's in HOF in Mexico, and he didn't play there that long. So that shows you how dominant he was when he was there. And another hat I completely forgot about. So this guy spanned a lot of generations. I think his second major league outing, you know, he faced Ted Williams. So, we're, you know, we are really yeah. crossing generations with George Burnett, George Stewart Burnett. And, um, you know, he, his numbers, yeah. I mean, full war, 4.2 war or whatever, that one season that you said. I refuse to look yeah. at that. Yeah, well, that's the war stat was was not recognized back then, but in, in retrospect, it was a 4.1. But he was, uh, he also played, you know, after he was out of the major leagues, he played for the Hawaii Islanders in minor <laughs> league baseball. Who doesn't want to go to Honolulu and play baseball if you're a kind of has-been? I'd rather go there than to go to the KBO or some other league or you know what I mean he did it right and the thing is he did it right and I got a little story for you but I'm not sure you may already know this story and it also may reveal too much about this but I don't know if you've read the book Ball Four by Jim Bouton have not read that okay now okay okay pause this is mandatory reading for any baseball fan just check it out at the library go buy it buy it now Jim Bouton was a pitcher on a lot of teams he was on on the Yankees but he was also on the Seattle Pirate uh, Pilots he was a teammate of George Burnett and ball four was a book about where basically he just spilled the beans Jim Bouton just spilled the beans on what guys get up to in the clubhouse, what they're like, you know, how they talk to women, la, 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 la. It was like Twitter is today. So when that book Ball Four came out by Jim Bouton, who had just retired from the league, it was sensational. And um, there's a story in there about George Burnett that I got to share with you. That there's a secret about him that most people don't know, but it came, it's right there in Ball Four by Jim Bowden. I don't wear any underwear. It's just easier. That's what he said. George Stewart Burnett did not wear underwear. So, George, you're telling me George Burnett, number 54 on the 60 on 60 list, performed as an angel commando. Yeah, yeah, he was commando. He was not only on the Angels, he was on the KC Athletics, the Colt 45s, and all these other teams. And he was walking around. Uh, that's it, man. Um, he just thought underwear. You'd have to read the quote from Bouton's book about, about Brunette because he was considered a bit daffy or offbeat because he didn't wear underwear. Well, so a lot of guys would see him changing the locker room he would just change out of whatever he was wearing and just put on his baseball pants. Most of the other guys are putting something else on. And his, I don't know, his philosophy was, it's another layer. I don't have to mess with. I don't know what it is. But, hey, right. you know. I That's a great way concern. to wrap up the life and career of George Burnett. George Stewart Burnett. Thank you, Stu. Stu. <laughs> Now we're going to get to a little more contemporary player. Number 53 on our list. The imposing right-handed 
mustache who can forget the mustache the closer who came in the late 80s early 90s and just dominated he was really the precursor to percival and 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 frankie rodriguez and that is the tall north carolinian brian harvey what what, when i say brian harvey Stu, what does that what does that mean to you as an angel fan a lot of happiness I mean, a lot of really happy memories. What years were, were, were you there from? He was there from... He, he came up, I believe, at 87 was the first time he came up. And then he was there until 92. And then the Florida took him in the expansion draft. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, these were years of my life when I was graduating from college and getting married. I got married quite young. But I remember after all the other, quote-unquote, Closers that the Angels have had. They've gone through guys like Don Ossie, number 60, right? On your mm-hmm. list? Yep. Uh, David Bosch, guys like that, uh, that just couldn't get, I mean, they just weren't the lockdown nine pinning guy like you think of with Troy Percival or K Rod. So, yeah, he was that. And so, what I would think about with, uh, with Harvey is that when he came into the game in the ninth, you pretty much knew that it was going to be light up the halo and drive home safely. You know, it, um, and that's, it was a feeling of just peace because you knew this guy had that inning handle and probably the most reliable closer we've had. Donnie Moore, you know, was earlier. There was also Lee Smith. There was, you know, they, they all kind of made you panic somehow when they came out of the thing. <laughs> Not Brian Harvey. When he came in there, he was dialing it up, and you knew what you were going to get. He was either going to blow it or he was going to save the game, and nine times out of ten, he saved the game. What did he have, 46 saves one year? 46. Yeah, he led the league with 46 in 1991. That was his all-star season with the Angels. But I think, you know, I think he hit the nail on the head, Stu. I mean, the – the key was, you know, before him, Donnie Moore was the only only angel ever to hit the 30 mark. He, he recorded 31 saves. And other than him, that was, a, that was a big number at 85 when, when Donnie Moore hit that. And then LaRoche was the only other guy in 78 that he can get 25 or more. That became kind of the standard for, for, for Harvey during his career was getting 25 or more saves, including that, that 46. But even more importantly, like, like we mentioned, Aussie was 60 on the list, but he, you know, he spent half his angel career as a starter. I mean, Harvey's the first like full-time reliever we have on this list. And the closer was just be- becoming a thing late seventies, early eighties. You know, you had Raleigh fingers, Bruce Suter, uh, Dan Quisenberry. These guys were the guys that were putting up 30 to 40 saves here. And as an angel fan, you kind of looked at it in awe. You were on the back. You were on the other side of that. You know, you were, we were we were seeing these guys come in and shut our guys down in the ninth. And right. like finally, when Harvey came, it was like we got our own. You know, nothing. With all due respect to LaRoche and Hart and and Aussie and more, you know, like you said, it we finally had a guy that could come in and just like fire fastballs in that forkball and just like and throw the opposing hitters off. And it was like lights out, shut down. We got the save. We got it in the bag. And, and you hate it that he had the arm injury. He had, I think an arm injury or elbow injury that shut down his 92 season. I think he only, he paid like a handful of games that year, 
and then you know they exposed him to the draft because yeah yeah because they didn't know they thought it was over it was kind of like the almost Nolan Ryan again like how many yeah you know, we've kind of got the best of them you know we'll let him go on and yeah Florida gets him and the next year with an expansion team the the the, the Florida Marlins now Miami Marlins he saves 45 games and, the, and becomes their all-star that next year and as an Angel fan you're just like oh my gosh we let him get away. What makes it easier, though, is like you said, Lee Smith came in for a year and he really groomed Troy Percival, who just, you know, we really went through a period with with a great closer in Harvey to a Hall of Famer and Smith to Percival and, and K-Rod for about two decades. You know, that kind of covered us at that closer position with those four guys. I got uh, a story. Maybe I've probably, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tell this story because it's a cautionary tale. For you younger listeners, uh, Brian, everybody knows who was around the team and watched Brian Harvey pitch. Everybody knew that he chewed tobacco. Back in those days, man, he, Brian Harvey had a great big dip, didn't he, all the time with that mustache. Now, um, that's not a good thing to do. And <laughs> I, can, I can tell you by experience. Because I was playing college baseball at the time, at the same time Harvey was pitching for me. And I remember one time going out to spring training in Palm Springs. They were in Palm Springs back then. And uh, I didn't have any dip in my back pocket. And I walked, you could just walk right past the bullpen. Brian Harvey was there and he, he looked at me and I just said, Hey, hey, Harvey, can you spare me a dip? Slip me a can of skull. You know, I mean, Nice guy, but just don't do that. Okay, kids, 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 kids. Yes, he's number 53 on this, in this pantheon of 60 to 60, and he deserves it. And I'm sure he's quit chewing tobacco long ago. Uh, I think so. Brian Harvey. And uh, he is the cover boy on the 1992 Angels Media Guide. That was the last year they were in spring training, and this is the season after he won the uh, – Got the 45 saves and uh, won the Rollades award. So, uh, but he also, it's worth mentioning, this is going to be my segue to number 52. Brian Harvey's son, Hunter, is now a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. So, so in addition to being a top 60 angel, he's produced a second generation um MLB player and his son Hunter, who's active on the Baltimore Orioles, number fifty-two on our list. His son Jarrett ended up pitching in the World Series for the Cleveland Indians in, in the nineties, and that's a left-handed pitcher, an Anaheim resident that we all that we a lot of people call them lefty, uh, but we think of them as Clyde Wright, and. Uh, what what are your what are your memories of Clyde Wright? I imagine he's someone that was on the mound a lot in your early days as a fan. He was, although uh, he wasn't the kind of guy, even though he threw a no hitter in 1970. So I was only six years old, and I remember that. Wow, you know, uh, he was that kind of pitcher that had that kind of stuff that could do that. Um, he. When Ryan and Tanana came, he kind of almost forgot about Clyde Wright. But the thing is, as a fan, the Angels have never forgotten 
Clyde Bread because he hangs around. And uh, bless him, he's in the Angels Hall of Fame, the official club Hall of Fame. He's got that Tennessee draw. I can't, uh, I can't emulate it. But uh, <laughs> one thing I would ever say is next time you have your media credential and you go in and, and you're roaming around, uh, you know, doing media events or whatever over at the stadium, if you get a chance, uh, you'll you might see Clyde Wright walking around because he wears his red blazer like it's the <laughs> master's blazer. He wears it with pride. His accent is like sweet as honey, and he's a, just a wonderful man. So I, I remember more as like a still a fixture with the Angels organization as a Hall of Famer more than I actually do as a, as a pitcher because I only saw him pitch once, twice, or whatever, and then Nolan Ryan. That was all anybody cared about. So poor Clyde Wright, I mean, he was a wonderful pitcher, but he, he kept things simple, and he still does, and I, I'm not sure I can do the Tennessee accent. Not even close. It's not even close. It's terrible if I try to do his Tennessee accent. But I asked him one time, you know, what was it like out there the day you went to throw your no-hitter? You know, that day, did you feel something different, something special that day, 1970, you know? What was different you threw a no-hitter? He's like, no, it was just another time to go out there and warm up, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's, what, that's what he's like. He's like that now. He was like that then. And he was just happy to be in the big leagues, really. And he was a really, really great player. Yeah, great ambassador for the Angels franchise. He he ties will tie him to uh, an earlier uh, player we discussed, Rick Reichard. He, as a result of his being the big bonus baby in the draft going to place, he was a part of that Angels first MLB draft class in '65, where Jim Spencer was the first pick. Clyde was taken in the uh, sixth round of that draft, and another first. We talked about Riker being the first to hit a home run at Angel Stadium. That no-hitter on July 3rd, 1970 was the first no-no for an Angel or an opposing pitcher to occur at the Big A. So Clyde Wright not uh, checked some boxes there as well. But yeah, what a, what a I think, you know, like you said, I think he become he became overshadowed by the likes of Nolan Ryan, a future Hall of Famer, the, the likes of a future All-Star and Frank Tanana who came up uh, later there, but that, that 70 season, we got 22 wins. He had an ERA of 2.83, um, was an all-star. He, uh, I mean, he just, you know, he finished sixth in the Cy Young but He actually got some MVP votes and uh, yeah, he, he ended up getting other had 16 wins and 18 wins in subsequent seasons and 87, 85 record. And when I remember pulling out these uh, these old media guides back when I was becoming a fan and getting media guides in Palm Springs when we'd show up for spring training, you'd look at that all-time leader list in the back of that book, and you'd always notice Clyde Wright. You know, it'd be Nolan Ryan, Clyde Wright, Dean Chance. You know, it was it was yeah. it was there was a group of of a handful. Andy Messersmith. These were the names of the guys that were like on the all-time list in those statistical categories. And uh, yeah, Clyde Wright was one of the, those top five pitchers. If you had at the 25th anniversary of the, of the angels franchise, you had to name the top five starters, you know, Clyde Wright was in that. 
was in that mix at that at that point in the franchise history. And uh, yeah, as you he, said, he, great personality, great ambassador. Anytime someone's inducted in the Hall of Fame, or anytime there's an event at the Big A, you're 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 bound to find Clyde right out there with his uh, his red vest. Yeah, his, his red jacket, man. He's wearing that. If, if there's an event, you're going to see Clyde right. He's going to be around, and he loves it, and he's happy to talk to anybody about baseball. And uh, I did talk to him about the no-hitter because I've talked to a lot of guys uh, who, I don't know, it was a story I was writing for the LA Times many years ago. I was talking to many former Angels pitchers who had thrown no-hitters, including Ryan and Jared Weaver and la, 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 la. And I talked to Clyde Wright about that no hitter, and he said it was just a just another. He was he said he wasn't dominant. Again, I can't do the act uh, the accent. I well, I didn't have nothing. It, you know what I mean? It was something yeah. like, I didn't have nothing, man. What I did was I outsmarted him, and you know he got uh, a career no hitter. I believe he only had one strikeout, who was Reggie Jackson. Lefty on lefty when Jackson was on the A's. And he induced 14 ground ball outs. Now go ahead and figure a no-hitter with 14 ground ball outs at a 27. He was basically, Clyde Wright was, was getting the A's to pound the ball into the dirt, and they were just making routine plays. So he doesn't speak of the no-hitter as if it was some kind of gem. Yeah. It was just pitched well. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can all hope that uh, Alex Cobb has that kind of success this coming year with the with the grand ball outs. Yeah. And don't let me forget, please, Brent, because I don't want to forget about Purdy's uh, son. Can we go back to that real quickly? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Oh, we don't have to do that. But, I mean, I did, did not know that, his, that Harvey's son was in the – Orioles organization. Okay. Hunter Harvey. Yeah. Well, you have to look up Hunter Harvey, a uh, top draft pick a few years ago. So Hunter Harvey, he made his debut a couple years ago for the Orioles. Jared Wright had, had quite the career with the, uh, the Cleveland Indians. I believe he might've been an all-star. I know he pitched in that, that world series for them along with Bartolo Colon, who was on our list <laughs> on, on the last week, but uh, six degrees of angels, 60 on 60. Right. So, Number 51, our last player that we're going to go through today on this list, I, I can, I'll just say the groove. And that, that's, what, that's what his players called him, and that's what we knew him as. And he was just the ultimate slugger for the Angels in the late 70s and early 80s. That's Don Baylor. Yeah, he certainly was. He's another Angels Hall of Famer and with, with good merit. Number 12, came in from Baltimore. He was the first free agent that Gene Autry brought in that actually paid off and paid dividends. Uh, he was big-time value, um, and he, he was worth the contract that he signed. I don't have the figures uh, off the top of my head, other than some of the numbers that he put up in 1979, which just you know, blow your mind. 1979, when he won the MVP, um, he had 139 runs batted. Okay, uh, I don't know if Mike Trout's going to get there in any season. 
139 runs better is a lot. Uh, okay, so we had Rod Carew leading off and all this sort of stuff, and Rod Carew was batting 380 or something, and constantly on base, and Baylor would just – Baylor, what did he hit that year? Uh, 18? I don't know how many homers did he hit. He had, he had 36 home runs that year. And the other thing that's amazing, he led the league with 139 RBIs. He also led the league with 120 runs scored. Exactly. You talk about now, run that, production. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you know you have. Uh, you know, it's just like um, I remember Baylor because he was such a physical presence. Um, he wasn't my type of player because at the same time in 1979, 80, 81, 82, I was a high school baseball player and I'm a shortstop. So I was always watching guys like Dick Schofield. Okay, or, you know, Mark McLemore, these kind of players. And Baylor, to me, was a one-dimensional first baseman, outfielder, DH guy who had a ton of power. But, man, what respect. And he really had an impact, let's just say, for any player on the Angels throughout all the years, with their impact suddenly. Free agent signing, paid off, AL West Championship impact player he delivered it right away and yeah. there hasn't been another one i don't know no. if there's been another one i one one thing that i thought of when you said it like how he was the first angels player to pay off as a free agent and i think what made him different than most free age free agent signings we're accustomed to seeing nowadays is that his his hitting went to a whole nother level once he signed that contract they got a player that had they had never seen before, which we rarely see. We, we see guys that max out prior to signing a contract, and then there's a decline. Well, there was no indication in the in the career leading up to that signing that Baylor would become the player that he came. He he really just took his game to another level with the Angels. And I, the only the first thing I can think of when I when I think of another player would be Kelvin Escobar. We jumping ahead decades. But he was a guy yeah. who came and just took his game to another level when, when the Angels got him in, in the early 2000s. And uh, from a hitting perspective, I think, I think Baylor was one of those guys that just completely took it. I think his two best seasons, I think, with the Angels were probably, arguably, there's no doubt the 79 was his best of his career. But that 82 season in that lineup with Reggie and Lynn and Carew was the, the four former MVPs in, in, that, in that lineup in 82 that, uh, you know, he really came through again for that club. And, um, you know, maybe one or one more starting pitcher. I know Angel fans are tired of talking about one more starting pitcher. You know, that might have been our first championship season if we'd, uh, if we just had a, another starter to put the throw in that rotation, like Nolan Ryan. Don't give me previews to 2021 <laughs> season. More starting pitcher is all we need. <laughs> That's right. It looks not Don Baylor, I'm surprised that he comes in at number 51 because the metric kind of is it fools you. Like you said, it's yep. not a ranking of our favorites or it's not a ranking of that it is by your metric. This is how they rank. Yep. 51, though, in terms of the impact that he had on the team when he did, but he did it for six years, too. Yep. Okay, you mentioned... Uh, Kelvin Escobar, 
I could mention Mark Teixeira coming in for plan for three months and he just bat, <laughs> you know, whatever it was. And then he walked away to the Yankees and that was all you haul, you know, that was it. He moved his stuff over here and he, yeah. he was amazing, amazing impact for the, but for 60 days Baylor for did. Mark Teixeira. <laughs> and he was, Tom Baylor was a leader, a leader and uh, led by example, class act. And of course we know, as a manager, and secretary passed away sadly uh, two, three years, I think three years ago. Uh, his managerial career, he's that's it, you know. I mean, yeah. and take one for the team. How about you? I mean, he, 267 hit by pitches during his MLB career that uh, is incredible. I think he's he's fifth all time of anyone in an angels uniform. He got hit 60 times, plucked 60 times and then fourth most in baseball history. I think Craig Biggio is the only one in the modern era to be hit by more pitches than Don Baylor. So the guy would take one for the team and then good for Don, obviously taken from us way too soon. But the good, good thing for Don was after he left the angels, after that 82 season, he went on to play for three world series teams, one, and he got to win the world series with the, uh, the 87 twins. So he had some success, was able to do it. The metrics, like you said, from my eyes, I'd probably see him as a top 50 angel of all time. I think what probably hurt him in this rating was a little bit was probably the fact that he, he did spend most of his career as a designated hitter. And with the angels, he probably didn't get those defensive metrics that, that some others would get that would help their, uh, their, their ranking somewhat. Um, Personally, Don Baylor's probably one of my t- my favorite twenty to twenty five angels of all time. I'm on, on the the BJ Martin uh, Angels favorites. He, he he was just a great dude. Um, as an autograph seeker, as a kid, he was he was one of those guys that was always accommodating and 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 he always yeah had a, had a, had a, had a lot of respect for for him and how he how he he treated people around him. So, uh, oh yeah. I just think 51 might be a little bit too low. I mean, let's think about it this way. The celebrations in 1979, those were the angels where the slogan was, yes, we can. And Baylor was driving in 139 runs to make sure that it became, yes, we did. Yep. And that uh, Gene Autry, that, you know, the first pennant, it was 1979. And, yep. and, uh, and President Nixon, you know, former President Nixon, who's from Yorgoland and a big Angels fan, they were popping, popping bubbly with all the boys in the clubhouse. That's President right. Nixon, you know, and that was in 79. And he had, you know, this is five years after Watergate. So he was just happy to see the Angels win. And Baylor uh, put him on, uh, put the Angels on his shoulders and carried him there. Well, like you said, he, he should be higher, but hey, we haven't even gotten to the top fifty yet. So we'll we'll give got to get let's give the four wheel a, a little bit of, of a break here. We haven't seen yet who's in front of them. So we got some great players still to come. And second media guy reference here, Donnie Baylor and that stance. Who can forget if you if you were around back then, you could not forget this stance. And that's one of the things as a young Angel fan. Me and my brother and my father, we 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 these simulated games in the backyard, and I remember 
emulating those stance. I, I was not the batting stance guy that we know that's Gar- Garth, whatever his name is, uh, that does the batting yeah. stances. But yeah. but we would emulate, and I just remember, you know, that, that the Baylor stance was the one that you know, was one of those that stood out. We had Dan Ford, Bobby Gritch. These guys all had Reggie Carew, you know, with the, the laid out bats. They were all fun to, to emulate. Had that weird open stance that he tried for a while. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Doug the Sensei's. We had the bat kind of sideways on his, on his shoulder. I mean, we could go on and on. But, uh, but yeah, Donnie Baylor, definitely probably 51. I'd say this is the most controversial of all all the uh, the rankings so far on this list in the, in the first 10 that we've gone over. But Stu, I, I want to thank you for for joining me this week again for uh, the next five on this list. I hope to have you back to, to go over some more of these 60 on 60. But we don't want to, I think uh, we've gone probably an hour on this webinar. So we're going to like, uh, really? we're going to thank everybody who's like hung on this long to listen to this. I hope this was a, a enjoyable conversation for you i hope you're enjoying the 60 on 60 i hope you'll come back to uh to see the next five segments on this as well uh we thank you for listening you can learn more at uh, at underscore halo life on twitter you can follow me there you can follow uh Stu as well at angelsnation.com i'm writing at uh, primetimesportstalk.com we thank you for, for coming in, listening to us either on uh, Anchor FM, Spotify, or on the YouTube channel. Please give us a thumbs up if you're on the YouTube channel. And thank you, Stu, for joining us. And we will talk to you again next time. Until then, don't, don't take one day for granted and always live your life nine innings at a time. Tower.